Okay, first of all, I, I thank you so much, but, uh, but really the privilege is mine. Uh, um, you know, in, in the of, of this beautiful yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva is the Raman. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of a homecoming for me because I spent a very nice year and a half here. And um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a big schuss to talk about uh, the, the topic. Um, uh, so I, I, I um, as was mentioned, I had the honor of, of writing the book on Rav Gusman for Art Scroll. I, I didn't actually, in the interest of full disclosure, I, I, I didn't know what I was getting into because I, I, I was just interested in being Mishamish, uh, a Rav who was his close, one of his two closest Talmudim. Um, but in the, por- in the course of the project, I grew a lot. Uh, uh, um, at least I felt I did. Um, and... Um, you know, during the course of the project uh, as well, I, I know that the topic today is is uh, the Holocaust uh, in Rav Gusman. Rav Gusman uh, went through uh, the Holocaust uh, in in a very uh, in intensive way. It's, it's one of the things he's he's famous for, even though that's not really uh, you know um, why he's famous to those who, who knew him. Um, but um, that is the subject uh, today. So I. I, I um, I'll just uh, um, you know get, get get right into it. Um, so um, Rav Gusman went through most of World War II as the last remaining Dayan of, of the uh, Vilna Bezdin of Rav Chaim Grudzinski. Now, uh, in historical context, this was the Bezdin of the Ashkenazi world, and these people wrote in from all over. It was it was uh, you know um, whether it was the Ger Rebbe from the Hasidish world or. Um, you know, uh, anyone else, even from Eretz Israel, people were always writing in. This was this was the um, sort of body of, of law, and, and, and uh, obviously each Dayan on the Bezdin was a world unto himself. Uh, Rav Gusman was the youngest one. He, um, there's a controversy as to how old he was when he started in the Bezdin in the 1930s. Some say as young as 22. Some say he was 24. Um, um, but he would tell you that uh, it's not for, you know, don't, don't have Kalisha Sadas, don't be discouraged by that, because uh, it was by dint of hard work. In other words, that's the, he always claimed uh, he got to where he was by dint of hard work. Um, he he paskin Shilas of all kinds in the Vilna ghetto under the Nazis, Yimachshimam, uh, where he lived with his wife and at the time uh, uh, his two children. Um, I'll tell a little bit of his personal story uh, as well. Um, and after escaping from the ghetto, it's not a spoiler because there, there's plenty to tell even without these broad details, um, he spent time hiding in the countryside as well as fighting against the Nazis as a partisan um, and actually returning to Vilna with whatever, uh, with whoever remained from the community. The, the Lithuanian community was particularly hard hit um, I think the statistics are, are over 95% of the Jews were, were uh, uh, murdered by the Nazis. Um, by way of introduction to Rav Gusman's experiences, I, I, I actually would like to frame the discussion uh, with three um, straightforward background points. Um, I, I think these points are crucial also uh, as Inyane de Yoyma, because obviously going into Rosh Hashanah, we're trying to... Uh, you know, develop, you know, connect to the, uh, to the to the extent that each of us can, uh, wherever we are, um, holding uh, um, to the mind of Hashem through His Torah, Kivyachol. Right? I mean, obviously, the the unknowable essence of Hashem, you know, we, we can't get to, but uh, whatever we can get to through the Torah um, is is to connect to God Himself at some level, um, and. 
um, I mean, speaking for myself, you know, um, it could be that this doesn't apply into, uh, to anybody in the room, but um, by, by nature, by birth, uh, um, and by education to some degree, I'm steeped in ideas which are not uh, necessarily all Torah ideas, right? Uh, um, and in order to sort of break out of that, we have to sort of, uh, you know, connect to, uh, you know, shift to see things through a little bit of a Torah lens. Obviously, uh, you know, the, the famous story is told of, of, of uh, Aaron Cutler's Atzal. When he got to America, um, you know, he built the Lakewood Yeshiva, which is huge today, but at the time it was not huge. It was, it was his, it was his uh, um, creation from, you know, uh, um, from the start, and there was nobody there. I mean, uh, Moshe Feinstein was in... The Lower East Side and, and Yaakov Kamenetsky was around, but there, was, there weren't too many people to talk to. And so famously, famously it's related, uh, you know, there was, it was pre-days of Zoom. I know, you know, it's hard to, hard for us to remember, but it was, it was pre, you know, those days. And, and sometimes when he wanted to consult, you know, figure out what to do on a, on a given issue that was very difficult, he would go down to the street and he would ask three random Jews who, who were not steeped in, in, in Torah, and he would do the opposite because there was something called uh, you know, das ba, das batim. In other words, he and he figured, you know, if they told him to do one thing, you know, uh, um, there was a good chance that he should do the opposite. Now, that, that's not that's not a um, that's not an indictment. It's simply it's simply an illustrative story to say, you know, that that um, you know the 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 less we know, uh, you know, and the less we're steeped in in, in our tradition, the more we're, we're, we could we could be sort of influenced by ideas which don't necessarily. Uh, relate and, and actually, um, I, I think for that reason we need a little bit of, of context. First, some historical context. Um, uh, I mean, everybody here knows about the Holocaust, and it's of course rightly viewed uh, as the latest and greatest physical, and to a great degree also spiritual attack against the Jewish people in recent times. I mean, it, it, it wiped out, uh, you know, um, not just lives, but it wiped out entire communities of Torah, entire yeshivas. Um, um, and yet, from our inception as a people, we've experienced devastating events that, but for the help of God, would have destroyed another people. Uh, um, and of course, us, as we're obligated to recant on Pesach. Um, starting from the attempted mass enslavement, torture, and genocide perpetrated by the Mitzrim, and running through the various devastation of the Arba Malchios, uh, um, and uh, what some people call Galus Ishmael, um, yeah, the the the, the last of the Arbamalchios, obviously including events like Takhvatat in the Ukraine and Poland, uh, largely shrouded today in the mists of history. Uh, I mean, certainly not as well known as the Holocaust, uh, but from contemporary accounts of the Achronim who were there, um, indescribably cruel. And that's not our subject today. But just to say that, um, yeah, this was not the first calamitous and and absolutely cruelly devastating event that has happened to the Jewish people. In, in the historical narrative, it's sometimes treated as such. And obviously, you know, I'm not, I, in no way do I intend to minimize the, the, the cruelty and calamitous nature of it. It's just, you know, the Jewish people are, are, are it's, it hasn't been new in terms of uh, being subjected to tremendous, you know, tr- tremendously, uh, you know, um, murderously genocidal and cruel events. Second is, is, some, is some spiritual context. Uh, and that point is that the Holocaust is, is the latest cataclysmic event predicted by Moshe Rabbeinu himself to some extent in his discussions of the bris between Hashem and the Jewish people, uh, um, as well as by the Nevi'im, 
mentioned in the Ksuvim, uh, such as the Purim story. I mean, it wasn't the Holocaust, but invo- involved another would-be uh, Hitler-type figure, right? Mitafa Adzaken, to to basically totally eliminate the Jewish people. There, uh, he was Hamanor uh, Rasha was unsuccessful, um, and of course, it was presaged by most famously. Uh, today to us about the Meshachachma in Parshas Bechukosai uh, regarding the Hester Aster Panim and the movements of Jewish history. It's worth, uh, if, if somebody has not seen that, it's, it's worth taking a look. It's not our subject today. But to understand the predisposition to Shvichas Damim and to murderous acts on the part of the Umas HaOlam, uh, one need only uh, take a uh, you know, fairly um, brief look at, at Masech Sabot Zara. Um, what they have to say about uh, uh, who, who is Chashud al Shvichas Damim on murder, uh, or uh, Chazal's reference to the, the Jewish people being like a kivsa, a lamb surrounded by Shivim Ze'evim, uh, 70 wolves representing uh, the rest of the world. This obviously doesn't apply to individuals. You know, there, there are very, very many righteous individuals, but, you know, but our experience uh, as a people has not been one of tremendous, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, harmonious and, and peaceful relations with, with the nations over history necessarily, um, more from, you know, in a, in a, in a, yeah, I mean, and, and, and this is, this from, a, from, a, from a spiritual point of view, um, it, it must be said that the cruelties experienced during the Holocaust are not something that is foreign to our tradition and, uh, um, and our conception and understanding of the world. And that's something which is often also lacking. In other words, that, that recognition that, you know, this is not a, a, and a totally new and, and, and uh, you know, thing from the point of view of, of our tradition and, and those who, who have upheld our tradition over the millennia. Um, finally, we, uh, there, there's one last threshold issue, which is the modern Holocaust narrative. Okay? I mean, all, all of you who have university backgrounds know that Holocaust studies is, is a thing in universities, right? Um, um, and, you know, despite the historical and spiritual context that, that I've just touched on briefly, because this is a whole world in of itself, uh, much of the Holocaust narratives today, as presented in, in um, academia, tend to present the events of the Holocaust in a vacuum. In other words, it's called the Holocaust Studies for a reason. They look at the Holocaust as a historical <coughs> outlier. Now, it's not to, not to say they, they won't, you know, they, they will they will look at the roots in, in various other things, but but basically it's it's uh, it's its own thing. I mean, the very fact that I'm here speaking on the Holocaust, uh, you know, is is an expression of um, the fact that it, it is uh, for us in our generation rightly looked as unique, uh, rightly looked at as somewhat of a historical outlier, um, perhaps because you know history again is is, is shrouded in the mists of time, but. Um, um, and it's also discussed in a spiritual sense, as we mentioned, as if the Torah had, had very little to say about the events of genocide and mass, and mass murder committed against the Jewish people. Um, and in that sense, you hear people who themselves did not experience the Nazi murder machine saying things like, uh, I mean, this is very common, how could there be a God who would allow this to happen? That's a, that's a you know, common theme. Um, so... Um, you know, that's the context for Rav Gustman's experiences. Rav, Rav Gustman's experiences, by contrast, uh, do not fall into these typical categories. And, and that's why I thought it was important to, you know, uh, basically set some, uh, set some clear uh, um, background issues. To the extent he spoke about the events that happened to him during that time, um, which he didn't 
uh, a tremendous amount, but he did to some extent. It's clear that his narrative is markedly, fundamentally different from the modern Holocaust narrative. Um, it's instructive to observe the reaction of a person whose being was steeped in Torah, as mentioned, to the ev- events of those years. Um, and, and again, I, I would like to just uh, um, take a step back. I mean, um, um, Rav Gusman, as Rav Moshe Lipka, his closest uh, Talmud, one of his closest Talmudim, mentions in the introduction to the book, Rav Gusman uh, uh, hid Tutfachim uh, uh, while he was Megala Tefach. Okay, so um, I, um, you know, un- unlike uh, many people who speak, uh, uh, um, you know, about historical figures, I, I'm not going to stand here and pretend that. You know, uh, I know exactly what Rav Gusman thought. However, what I did do is I spoke to a lot of people whom Rav Gusman spoke to. And I, I, I would never accept second-hand accounts. In other words, I heard that Rav Gusman told... I wouldn't accept that. Okay, I would only accept... If Rav Gusman to- told you, told per- person X, okay, Reuven, that, uh, about something, then I would accept that. Otherwise, uh, it w- would not go in, into, into the book. And I did hear... Um, yeah, quite, quite, a, quite a bit uh, uh, that touches on this particular subject from people. Um, so, I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's important to talk about the events uh, themselves that he experienced, and, and this is sort of the biographical stuff. Okay, um, um, and again, I, um, time is limited, uh, and I don't want to, uh, God forbid, bore anybody. If I'm already boring people, you know, raise your hand and we'll go faster. But uh, but um, the, the, it's important to give these biographical details. And then once I give the sort of the things he went through and what he talked to people about, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how he reacted to those things. Um, and I think it's kind of eye-opening. Um, um, and I, I think it's kind of eye-opening. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just, well, uh, if I forget to tell you, uh, uh, ask me right after I, <laughs> okay, uh, uh, why things I mean. So first... Um, um, basically, the, one of the first things the Nazis did, um, people think that the, the Nazis uh, um, hated all Jews, and they're right, but they reserved particular hatred for uh, um, Torah Jews who looked like Torah Jews, and uh, Jewish leadership. This is something which is not, uh, you know, the leadership of the Torah world. This is not something which, which is necessarily, um, you know, emphasized in, 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 you know, various Holocaust contexts, but it happens to be true. And so when, when the... One of the first things they did, if not the first thing, when they marched into Vilna, it was said while Rav Chaim Moiser was alive, the force of his spiritual presence was enough to keep the Nazis out of uh, Lithuania. And when he died, uh, very shortly after, they, they marched in under the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. And one of the first things they did is they rounded up all the Dianum of, of Vilna, the 12 Dianum of Vilna, um, from the oldest to the youngest. The oldest, who was particularly close to Rav uh, Gusman was a man by uh, uh, the name of Chanuch Chanuch Aigis. That's all. He, he, he was he was uh, a, a extremely holy person. Very, uh, you know, very, uh, um, you know he, he was the elder statesman. Uh, um, um, by then, Rukhaim Moser was gone, and, and he was uh, subjected to uh, extremely severe torture by the Nazis. Uh, they didn't just kill him; they tortured him. Uh, Rav Gustman. Um, in fact, it was so severe that Rav Gusman uh, did not reveal what he saw to, to uh, one of the direct descendants of Rav Chanukah uh, Isaacs. I guess because it would have been, he felt that it would have been cruel to reveal what the Nazis had, had done to him. 
Um, the the um, Rav Gusman himself was 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 uh, dragged out of his uh, home and beaten to a pulp, uh, left in a pool of his own blood for dead. Uh, but Rav Gusman was not dead, and he um, he actually crawled away and hid hid behind behind some bushes uh, somewhere outside the chaser, which had which had not been trimmed. Um, and um, managed to drag himself away, and, and he shaved his beard, um, and went into, um, you know, he, he went into sort of open hiding. In other words, uh, not looking like himself with a, with a different name. Um, um, and this was deliberately done by the Nazis. They they came looking uh, to destroy uh, the leadership of of, uh, of the Jews in Vilna. Um, um, yeah, uh, he, he became the the Poisek, uh, one of the Poiskim in the, in the Vilna ghetto, and, and of course, uh, um, you know, we we know historically what kind of shilas those were like. Shilas about whether you're allowed to commit suicide. Uh, um, he 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 told people he would encourage uh, the Jews not to. He said, you know, the Nazis will not be around forever, and as bad as it is, uh, you know, they will be defeated, and uh, you know, a person should strive to live. Um, um, I mean, there's obviously uh, a book of tshuvas that has come down to us. It's a terrible book to read. It's called Mamakim Karasicha Mimamakim. It's it's the tshuvas, the shadows and tshuvas that came, uh, you know, in 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 these very difficult uh, days. Um, um, yeah, I mean, perhaps the biggest caveat is something that I didn't say, which is, uh, you know, frankly, uh, you know, who am I to stand up here to talk about the Holocaust? I didn't go through the Holocaust. I, uh, you know, about three-fourths of my family were, were killed in the Holocaust, but that has no, that, that gives me uh, no smicha, no, no samchus, no, no jurisdiction to talk about it. But again, uh, um, you know, uh, we do the best we can in this generation, so I'm making no claims over there. Um, there, there are a number of anecdotes from... Uh, from you know that he told of his time in the uh, in the Vilna ghetto. One is uh, um, saving the widow, saving the life of the widow of Rav Chaim Leizer um, He had heard that she was in the ghetto, and there was a curfew. But um, Rav Gusman risked his life uh, to try to find her, um, and and uh, he found her um, basically lying in a state of starvation, um, you know, on the floor. Uh, um, and he, uh, you know, somehow he found her, um, and he introduced himself, uh, um, and, and she, she couldn't even, he, he offered her what little food he had, he had brought, he, she couldn't even chew the food, so, uh, so he actually chewed the carrots up for her and put them in her mouth uh, so she could eat. Stories like that, uh, and she thanked him, she, she said, you know, my, my husband always had a, a, a very uh, warm opinion of you, and now I see why, um, I don't have any information about what happened to her after that. I imagine, uh, you know, she was an elderly lady, and the prognosis was not good. But uh, um, the the uh, the narrative ends there, as far as my knowledge goes. Um, there was an episode in in the um, Ponar's forest, which he was present for. The Nazis had made the Jews uh, dug pits, dig pits, uh, very large pits, and and. Uh, they separated the women and children on one side and, and the men on the other side. Um, and for for fun, together with the uh, um, Lithuanian, um, you know, uh, whatever they were, and Lithuanian militia who were there assisting them, um, the, the Nazi officers would, would throw up 
would, would grab uh, um, children from their mother's arms, uh, throw them up in the air, and shoot them in front of the mother for sports. Okay, so, so the mothers, of course, begged the, begged the Nazis not to do this. I mean, and it was too much for Rav Gusman. So Rav Gusman went up to a Nazi officer. He spoke German. And he went up to a Nazi officer and, and uh, addressed him politely. The Nazi officer uh, um, knocked him down with his rifle butt. But he picked himself up and he, and he uh, asked him again. He said, he said uh, please, sir, the, 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 the German people are so cultured. They're such educated, cultured people. It's, it's not worthy of such a people that they should act this way. Words, uh, small children, mothers. Would it not be better to simply um, take the children and raise them as German children? You know, some of them are blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Nobody would ever know. You know, uh, um, um, and uh, yeah. So the German officer yelled at him, and he, 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 he knocked him down again, and, and yelled at him, and, and over, over him he screamed, "This is, yeah, uh, 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 this is what is good for uh, Jewish children." In other words, yeah. So. Uh, a, 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 his appeal to the uh, the uh, humanity and, and, civil, and civilization of, of the Nazi murders uh, uh, um, was not successful in that case. Um, he he actually uh, um, most famously he watched his uh, own son uh, murdered. Uh, basically, uh, um, there, there were what are called uh, Kinderaktion. He, he had one son. Uh, named, named Merke. Uh, some say Merrill. There's a controversy. It means little mare. And uh, um, they were hiding him, but somehow they, they found out his hiding place. Obviously, the Nazis were searching for these children. And they took him out, and Rav Gusman uh, uh, grabbed him and held him in his arms. And, and the Nazis, in his arms, uh, murdered the boy and then uh, uh, threw Rav Gusman uh, down into the dung heap, which was right, right next door. I mean, right, right there. Um, Rav Guzman uh, took the shoes off the, off the of his murdered son and sold them for bread. His, his wife, his wife and, and daughter were starving. Rav Guzman used to say, "He's not going to talk too much about this now, but when he gets up to Shemayim, he will talk very much." Assume, <laughs> assuming he's been gone for. Almost 30 years, I assume, that uh, he's had a chance to relate to almost the full extent of what he went through. But so, so um, you know, at, at that point, uh, uh, he could not eat the bread. He said it, it, it was like, uh, you know, it would have been like eating the, the uh, you know, eating his own child. You know? um, but um, he didn't tell his, his wife and daughter because they, they, need, they, they needed to eat to survive. Um, fine. So, uh, at some point, uh, um, um, uh, his daughter had a premonition in a dream that that, that something terrible was going to happen in the, in the ghetto, and uh, um, he took it seriously, and they escaped. And shortly thereafter, the ghetto was liquidated by the Germans. Um, I mentioned the, the statistics as to the survival rate; it was it was it was uh, vanishingly low. And they escaped to the forest, where he uh, he was held by. Uh, I mean, he, he managed to convince a, a farmer to keep him and his wife and daughter 
uh, in what was basically a pigsty uh, um, with an underground part. Um, so uh, he, he stayed in the pigsty in, in very, very difficult uh, semi-starvation conditions. I, I was actually uh, called up uh, um, by um, a Polish professor and said, uh, tell me, um, you know, did Rav Guzman mention the name of the of the Polish uh, or Lithuanian farmer who saved him? So I said, I, I, he probably did, but I, I, I have not heard the name. I, it wasn't mentioned uh, to me. And he told me, isn't it telling that uh, um, this brave this brave person saved the life of Rav Guzman, and uh, um, and Rav Guzman wouldn't have mentioned it. Uh, so I, 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 that was when I first came uh, in, into contact with uh, Polish Holocaust revisionism. Uh, um, you know, the, the the truth was uh, he was kicked out by that Polish farmer shortly thereafter because it was very dangerous. Uh, to keep Jews, uh, um, I mean, whatever he was doing for him, which was nothing but keeping him in a pigsty, that, that was already more than, you know, uh, and, and there was, you know, <laughs> basically the, uh, uh, the food was not uh, uh, in any way, uh, uh, you know, able to sustain them. But even the hiding was, you know, and, and, and nobody denies that it was, it, it, was an, it was an act of defiance to, to, to hide a Jew, and Yad Vashem is full of the, those people, but but he wasn't treated particularly well. He, he was he was kicked out and, and and sent into the forest where he actually became a partisan um, shortly thereafter. The way you, you can become a partisan was by um, was by um, murdering a German and taking his weapon. Because to be a partisan, you needed a weapon. So Rav Guzman uh, actually jumped a, a Nazi uh, uh, and and killed him and, and took his weapon and became a partisan. Uh, he used to look down at his hands and say, "I, I, I was like uh, to be Mekayim uh, the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek with my hands." Um, uh, he also used to say, he saw once an Israeli soldier uh, uh, cleaning and uh, taking apart and putting a, putting and putting back together his gun, and he commented to the um, bacher he was with. He said, "You know, I, I know how to do that much faster than he does, because uh, I guess when you're a partisan, you're, you're on the run." Um, um, yeah, um, so, um, right, so, I mean, you know, and, and then, and then he was Zeichet to come back to Vilna. He led a, uh, a Yom Kippur service, uh, um, Rosh Hashanah service, sorry, in, in the, in the Stadtschul, the, the great synagogue of Vilna, which a couple of days afterwards, uh, it was. It had become structurally unsound. It completely collapsed. Uh, um, had had the people pr- been praying in it at that time, uh, they would. Uh, you know, they, they. You know, it would have been a disaster for them. Um, um, just, just just one anecdote about that period, and then I'll, I'll get to sort of his reaction to experience, his experiences. When they were coming out of the forest, they were starving. I mean, that's, that's a running theme in his Holocaust experiences. They would they, uh, they would do things like if they had three peas, you know, green peas. Uh, he, he would divide the peas in, in half, and he would take one half and give his wife and daughter uh, the rest of the peas. Uh, and, that, that, that's, and, he, and he, he said, you see, a person can survive on very little. Um, uh, one, one, one telling anecdote about uh, who he was and, and who, who his wife was, frankly. Um, they, they were coming back to uh, um, Vilna, and they were going through a certain town, which used to have Jews in it, uh, nobody there, but they knocked at a certain door, 
uh, frankly, they knocked at the door, and people were the, the non-Jews there were afraid. Uh, you know, they they, they weren't going to take them in. They, they slammed the door, but they knocked at a certain door, and and nobody answered. And and he pushed the door, and it was open. And it turned out it was a little shul, and it was a little shul. And he walked in, and, and the sfarim in the little shul, uh, the gemaras, and uh, it was a base midrash, and, and uh, also, and, and the sfarim had been left open, as if the people had just stepped out for a brief amount of time. Uh, and um, um, you know, he looked at this, and there was Swarim. So he turned to leave, and his wife was blocking the door, and he said, "No, no." She said, "You're not leaving." So what, what are you talking about? We gotta get, gotta get back to uh, somewhere and get some food. She said, "No, no. You've been you've been for uh, you know however how long it was, three, you know, four years. You, ha- you haven't opened the safer." You know, everything was from his head. You know, he has a mishnayis in his head. He was he had a, uh, you know, he would memorize things from the time he was a kid, and he would do everything in his head. But you haven't opened the safer. Here you have you have svarim. You know, take take the time and, and learn. <laughs> so people people used to say um, to him, you know, uh, if they would say, you know, about what he accomplished, he was uh, he was uh, after the war he became a tremendous rosh shiva. Uh, um, you know, in, in both America and then subsequently in Israel. Uh, he, he was you know, at various places. You know, famously, he, he, he was asked by the Friedrich Rebbe to teach the last Lubavitcher Rebbe. Uh, I mean, they, you know, the, the, the story changes depending on who's telling it, but that's the that's the story that his Talmudim uh, uh, tell. Um, and then he, be, he, he became Rosh Yeshiva Zon Yeshiva, uh, and then moved uh, um, and started Yeshiva here in uh, in, uh, in Eretz Yisrael in Yishalayim. Um, but he said, you know, if, if you want to know how I became what I became, he said, uh, you just have to understand who I was married to. You know, like, you know, it's, uh, his wife was willing to sacrifice uh, another couple hours in, in such circumstances so that he could learn. Uh, um, so uh, anyway, um, so um, that, that brings us now to his reactions to his experiences. I mean, I've given a, a, just a, a small taste of those experiences. Uh, I'm sorry for being emotional. I'm half Hungarian. What am I supposed to do? I, when, I tell, when I tell things like this, uh, you know, I, 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 I weep a little. There's nothing, nothing to do. I mean, there are things to make a person weep. But, uh, um, so um, Rav Guzman was made, in terms of his reactions, he was made on himself. He bore witness on himself that he never lost his faith in Hashem, he would say, even for a moment during the war. And in this, he was not unique, but similar to many other Jews who were steeped in Torah and Avodah, who were not shaken in their faith during the war. Um, I mean, some of them you've probably heard of very well, like the Kloisenberger Rabbi, but, but there's so many. Um, there's a book by Rav Eliezer Berkowitz called With God in Hell. Um, it's not in print anymore, but uh, thankfully it's free on Sepharia. I don't know if you guys know Sepharia. It's Wonderful uh, resources. The book's free there. You can read, um, and it brings many of these oral testimonies. Uh, um, it, without regard, of, in terms of being shaken in one's faith, I'm reminded of a story of a prominent Rav in New York who tells the story of his father. His father was a Holocaust survivor and a businessman, and he uh, sold his business uh, when he got older to, to three uh, Jewish businessmen. And he, he um, committed to them to come and train them for three months. Uh, so he would come in every day. And it got to be Pesach, and he came in, and uh, um, he started taking out matzahs you know, to, to eat lunch. So they said, what, 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 what's this? He said, uh, it's matzahs. So they said, 
you went through the Holocaust and, and you're eating matzahs. So, so his reaction, the father's reaction was, uh, I went through the Holocaust uh, and I'm eating matzahs. You, you didn't go through it, but you're, but you're not eating matzahs? You know, wait, 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 what for me? You know, in other words, uh, um, and, and this is actually the Eliezer Berkowitz in, in the introduction to his book. His work has been uh, edited since his death in ways that not everybody is musking with, but, but this has been left largely intact. He said he, he was struck by the Holocaust survivors uh, uh, who remained, uh, you know, Shomri Torah mitzvahs, that they couldn't really relate to this particular svara of how could there be a God. And they, 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 you know, they, they, will t- they, w- they would say, you know, we, we had no doubt that there was a God. We knew that there was a God. Okay? We also knew that there were, you know, that, that there were these evil people who were trying to kill us because, because we were Jews. You know? In other words, uh, uh, but that, that was not... Uh, you know, um, at no point was that was that an indictment of God. Okay, which which to, to say that today is sounds amazing, but is 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 not in of, of itself amazing. The reason why it's not amazing is is because if, if one has the historical context and the spiritual context, you know, as a background to that, as well as the um, you know the the, the level of, of Torah and avoid the of Rav Gusman, one understands that it's not. Uh, you know, it's it's not uh, um, as uh, strange as it might sound. Um, um, yeah, I mean, um, uh, you know, an, an, another story, and 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 I promised I would I would explain. Uh, I, I think the, the source of it. I, I think I think it comes from. There's another influence which I didn't mention in the in the introduction, which is something called uh, historical materialism. It, w- it was started by uh, the original communists and, and has morphed into uh, you know, the present day in, in you know, uh, current version of Marxism. But it says basically like, it says essentially that this world and life and living are, are the ultimate good. There's no, there's no, you know, there's nothing else other than that. You know, in, in, in other words, you know, and, and, and it basically, you know, I was told that during the 1930s one couldn't learn Reish's Chachma, because Reish's Chachma, which was recommended by the Gra and the Chafetz Chaim, you know, to learn Masechus Gehinom, to learn what a Gehinom was like, they used to, the Marxists used to make fun of it, you know, uh, and, and basically they would make fun of the concept that there's Nolam Haba, the concept that there's a, a, you know, something beyond this world. That was, that was, that was their target, and so people were afraid to, to learn it, some people. Um, so, you know, there are many stories out of the Holocaust which, which, which show the very opposite. Okay? Uh, uh, Rav Eliezer Berkowitz brings, uh, for example, in, in, in his work, a story of Ger Hasidim, who were told they were going to be taken out and shot, and they asked for a few moments. And they took out their payas. Sorry, I don't have any payas like that to take out. I really am sorry. I, I think they're beautiful. <laughs> um, and uh, and they, they began dancing, because they were going to die like the Shashem. Okay. Is, this, is this something that, that we can relate to? Well, uh, a Jew who, who is steeped in, in, in you know, what it is to be a Jew and understands, you know, uh, you know I mean, Rabbi Akiva was, was <laughs> the simcha to, 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 be, to, to be able to be mekayim, the, the mitzvah of, of dying with Kiddush Hashem. Right? He says that my entire life, is, is, I, I regret it. Right? This, is, uh, this tells you it's a, it's a different point of view, which is not steeped in, in, in there's only this world. Right, um, I mean, obviously, the great yeshivas of Litha, Kelm, and Baranovich, uh, they 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 went they went to their deaths marching and singing, and 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 preparing themselves to be. You know, I mean, it, 
to be korbanos for the Jewish people, and famously uh, the, the story of Rav Achan Wasserman, Shem Yikam Damo. These, these, these are not unique stories, but they're so seldom told. In other words, the Holocaust narrative is, 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 is essentially stripped of stories like this. Uh, you know, and, and what we hear is that it was extremely awful and cruel, which is all true. It's just not... It doesn't. It, it doesn't honor the memory of those who actually, you know, uh, um, you know, engaged in in in, in activities like that that I've, that I've just described. Um, so yeah. So um, um, yeah. I just want to mention one other thing for those who are interested. There, there's there's an archive in Bnei Brak called the Ganzach Kiddush Hashem, which brings a lot of these things uh, in videos and uh, actual oral testimony by people, and it's it's full of, of books on the subject. Um, it's a very different. Uh, um, Focused than uh, the more famous Yad Vashem, but I, I think it's very Kadai. Um, okay, so in terms of his personal reaction, I, I, I outlined five uh, five things that, that we can we can we can say. First was sensitivity to suffering. There, there, uh, um, he, he became arguably even more sensitive than he was. He was always very sensitive. He was known as standing up for women. He felt they were um, often in a, a more vulnerable position in marriages. Um, anyway, uh, um, there's so many stories. Uh, um, the the but this one is kind of illustrative. There was a woman who, uh, as a result of her experiences in the Holocaust, uh, had uh, ceased to keep Shabbos. Uh, um, and uh, one of the halacha states is, is that uh, if if one keeps, uh, ceases to keep Shabbos and one starts again, one has to light uh, 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 two additional candles for every week. Uh, that one hadn't lit uh, the Shabbos candles, right? So in the case of this woman, it had been a good few years, so she would have been lighting hundreds of candles every every Arab Shabbos, right? Um, so uh, to which uh, to which uh, Rav Guzman uh, um, Rav Guzman's comment was, "Poor poor lady. After all she's been through, and every 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 Arab Shabbos she has to light hundreds of candles." I paskin that instead of lighting a candle, she should give the value of each of those candles, which is about a penny at the time. She should give a penny to tzedakah, and then light two candles, or however many she would normally light, for you know, two, one for each of her children, which is the minhag usually. But she, I, I, under no circumstances should she have to light uh, uh, two candles for each thing. Another example was a Cohen in the Israeli army who had uh, um, accidentally. Uh, in an incident, a friendly fire killed one of his uh, uh, fellow soldiers. And the halacha is that uh, such a kohen uh, um, uh, um, can't go up in Duchen, right? He can't go up to uh, do the Birkas Kohanim. And the Gusman Paskin that he could. He said, uh, against the Meforja halacha, right? So he said, he said, uh, he, said uh, he, he, he suffered so much for what he did. And, and to, to not go up to the Duchen every time, every Shabbos, every, 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 here in Israel, every Shabbos, right? Okay, you can't do that to him. You can't, can't do that to him. So, uh, and, and, and when somebody asked him, he said, uh, we learned on the, on the Bezdin of Vilna from Chaim Oizir Grudzinski, the greatest Bezdin of its time, that what, what we paskin, and I saw it on many occasions, what we paskin uh, uh, in the Bezdin Shalmata, is the Psak and the Bezdin Shalmala. And Rav Rukha, Chaim Moser used that on many occasions. Now, obviously, that's not to be misused, okay? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a recipe for, 
you know, open orthodoxy or anything. You know, these, these, these are these are these are real. These are people who are steeped in, in the sources for the sources' sake, not with an agenda of some, you know, something else. Okay, but but really with, uh, you know, and and if you're Chaim Rav Chaim or let's say you're David Cohen in Brooklyn, you know, there's something he could do stuff like that. Now, it doesn't mean that you know. It's, it, this is, I mean, this is like basically don't try this at home. Okay, in other words, this is you know you know you're. Uh, Abesdin is allowed to do this uh, if, it, if it has a certain stature. Uh, the second thing that, that was pretty clear from that he took from his experiences is, is um, and this is not an easy one to, to state, but he learned to hate evil people. Rav Guzman, by his nature, was a very, very kind person. He loved everybody. Uh, um, you know, after the war, he said, you know, Chab uh, Gelant, uh, um, uh, um, uh, what was it? Chab uh, uh to find the haben, yeah, to find the haben You know, to hate, to hate, to hate an enemy. I mean, a particular, you know, this particular kind of enemy. Probably one of the most important things was, I don't know what's important. You know, we don't know what mitzvah kala or mitzvah chamura is, right? Um, but um, um, but uh, to me, one of the most me- meaningful things uh, about him is he was invulnerable to humiliation. Okay, he, he would say to people who tried to pressure him and threaten uh, humili- to humiliate him. There was a famous case when people from a certain kashrus organization came to him and said, you know, he's feeding his bachrim a certain uh, 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 hexer of food, but you know that's what we hold is not good. And and you know if he doesn't stop. Uh, um, you know, they're going to publicize it and he's going to be humiliated, you know, and on the other hand, if they accept uh, their hexer, you know, <laughs> uh, we're going to give you a lot of cover and be mefarsim you, you know. So he said, uh, so he came up to the yeshiva, he said, Kimdalech, let me tell you, he said, when I was the, because I was the representative of, of, of Besdin, uh, of the Besdin of Vilna, I walked into a, a, a knisiyah of, of Rabbanim uh, before the war and, and the Chofetz Chaim got up for me. Okay, because I was the representative of Besdin. There's no cover that I could have which is greater than that. He said, on the other hand, I had one son, and that son was shot out of my arms and, and murdered in, in, in front of my eyes. And there's no humiliation greater than that. He said, so, if you want to give me cover, there's nothing you can give me. And if you want to humiliate me, there's nothing you can humiliate me with. So do what you, whatever you want. But meanwhile, uh, during four years of the war, I didn't have time to learn Torah, so I'm trying to make up for lost time. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to get back to my my sugya. Period. He could not be. He could not be intimidated. He could not be intimidated. He let. And this will coming in, in this far side of the Golis will sound very strange. He let everybody who wanted to learn Torah. You know, who really wanted to learn Torah and was willing to be macabre, he let everybody into his yeshiva. Okay, everybody. He believed that, uh, that, uh, uh, that <laughs> because it wasn't about it wasn't about kavod, it wasn't about, wasn't about uh, uh, and it wasn't about you know humiliation. It was about every every Jew has a right to learn Torah. And I think uh, you know um, you know when you're not when you're no longer afraid of humiliation, it's tremendously freeing, right? <laughs> as as the Navardikers who, who would go into uh, Drugstores and ask for a sack of nails just to just to get immune to humiliation. <laughs> uh, but he, he he got it through the Nazis. The the uh, 
the the fourth one, and this is a very interesting one, is, is gratitude. Okay, there's a famous story of Rav Gusman, Rav, Shimon, Rav, uh, Rav Shalom Shadron, the great Magid of Yishalayim, uh, brings the story. Uh, it was told in four different versions, um, uh, which is uh, gratitude to the plants that kept him alive when he was in the forest. It sounds very strange, right? It's not really gratitude to the plants, I mean, per se, necessarily. I just wait for the story. Basically, before the war, Mishum Mai, it wasn't something that was done. For some reason, Rukhaim Ezer Grudzinski walked, walked him through uh, a uh, you know, public park in Vilna and taught him uh, what plants were edible and what could do what. And, uh, um, and he said that prescient you know, Ruach HaKodesh type action of, of Rukhaim Grudzinski saved his life because when he got into the forest with his wife and daughter, he, he was able to eat these, he, he knew what he was looking at. You know? I mean, something I, I myself don't know. I, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do it, but but he he had been given this tutorial, and they say out of uh, one story is that out of gratitude, he would water the plants around the yeshiva, the flowers. He himself would do it. Um, so that's one version. That's the version that Rav Shalom Shvadron takes uh, tells. The the uh, there are other versions too, which are not relevant to the Holocaust, as to why. Um, I mean, uh, like the Rebbein people could do things for many different reasons and could give over different reasons depending on who they were talking to. Unlike a lot of people who you know, think uh, about halacha, um, uh, Rav Gusman and other big paiskin took the view that before you could paskin a shayla, you have to paskin the person. You would say, before I paskin a shayla, I paskin the mensch. Right, because you have to know where he's coming from. So he would give different uh, uh, piskei halacha to two different people. Like once he gave very, something very machmir and kashras, and and uh, you know, uh, the, the person his talmud was you know, he said well, you, know, you don't say this. He said because I know by him if he doesn't if I don't tell him this he, his kitchen will be trafe in a few years. I want him to <laughs> I want him to uh, you know, be machmir. Whereas by somebody else it, it would not be so. In other words, he, he, he had his pulse on, on who a person was and where they were going. Um, finally, um, he held that, that, that someone who had gone through the Holocaust had, had koach bracha, a very strong koach bracha, the power to give someone a bracha. Now, uh, the Rebunim in the room can uh, surmise as to why that's so you know, better than me, um, but obviously we know from uh, uh, you know, um, the Avos in particularly Yitzchak, that... Uh, that uh, suffering is memarkin is adam. In other words, they, it, it has a way of, 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 of purifying, cleansing a person. Um, yeah, this also goes against a little bit the, the popular way of thinking about suffering. In other words, we're we're, we're so busy, you know, uh, seeking ways to you know escape <laughs> pain, you know, that it, it's. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a. You know, but but he felt that the people who had managed to come through that that uh, um, you know main of Gehinom in this world, uh, um, you know, of the camps and 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 the Holocaust, they they and still remained uh, true to the Torah. They were holding an extremely high level, um, and he was very mechabed them, and he was very mechabed people from from Vilna, much as a you know almost as a family member. Um, um, yeah, so, I mean, in, 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 in summary, I, I, I think, um, you know, it, and it, it's, po- it's possible to, to you know, this, this was t- uh, uh, titled a, a great person of faith uh, and, and the Holocaust. I mean, um, you know, standing uh, where I'm standing, I, you know, I, um, 
you know, Rav Guzman is most famous for the Kuntusei Shir and, uh, and, and Sugyas that you're probably learning in, in Yeshiva. Uh, they're very, very beautiful, very deep, uh, um, and, and very clear. He was, he was very interested in clear writing, um, and he spent a lot of time on them. And, and, and that's his, his, his real legacy, and yet he, he didn't come out of that out of a, vac- a vacuum. Rather, these experiences that he had you know, because um, he wrote the country, all of his writings were destroyed from uh, before the war. Uh, he, he had a whole correspondence with the Gera Rebbe uh, um, on a halakhic matter. Uh, all of that was destroyed. Um, but, uh, um, you know, he himself was not destroyed and, in fact, grew um, and, you know, uh, built uh, a life uh, after, after the Holocaust. Uh, so, um, I think I think that in in uh, yeah in 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 a, in a very hopeful way as we're coming to Rosh Hashanah uh, uh, Yom Hagadol uh, uh, um, you know it, it, it's it's possible to uh, be shorev to sort of you know take whatever uh, you know uh, we can of whatever whatever our experiences are um, and. You know, try try to try to grow and not assume that some narrative, you know, that, that we're being told from the outside is somehow uh, Mogbill, you know, somehow delimits what our reaction should be. And, and I, th- I think that's the main takeaway from uh, you know, a person of faith uh, like Rav Guzman, uh, as, uh, as as I was uh, privileged in a small way to touch uh, um, when writing the book and and. Uh, um, yeah, I want to thank you for your patience and and uh, any limitations of this drasha are are truly my own and not Rav Guzman's. Uh, and feel free to disagree with me either publicly or privately. Uh, um, if you want to disagree with me privately, uh, my email is david at davidpagelaw.com. And if you want to interest, uh, disagree with me publicly, uh, that's fine too. I don't know if we have time for questions. Uh, or not, uh, or if there are any, if there are any questions below, uh, and I'm sorry if I went over my time. Uh, uh, very sorry. Bruchim to you. Everyone should have a good kibbutz to yar. Thank you for your your time, patience, and, uh, and interest. <laughs>